0: A Lumberjill, a Hollywood director, two Italian families, compost, a zoyotrope, and the man with the blue face. You're on the road with Mr. California Wine. I live in London, some cases of damn good California wine across Europe for the Celato family. And this podcast is about California, the Golden State, my home state, and its awesome wines. This week, I'm interviewing the senior winemaker at the Francis Ford Coppola Winery in Sonoma. Every week we're going to have some fun and ultimately improve your boozing. My guest this week is the senior winemaker at the Francis Ford Coppola Winery in Geyserville, Sonoma. And as it turns out, a champion Jill who competes in the World Women Championships in Hayward, Wisconsin. And why am I not surprised that she's a champion Jill when she does such an awesome job crafting winning wines? our episode or story this week takes us back to 2006 when the famous hollywood director of iconic films like the godfather apocalypse now the outsiders francis ford coppola purchased the historic chateau souverain in sonoma influenced by the tivoli gardens a famous amusement park in copenhagen that boasts rides cafes and gardens francis wanted to create a destination spot in california where families could go to enjoy a similar experience and to taste wine and enjoy home-cooked dishes. Renovations at the winery began in 2008, and a brand new winery emerged under the Francis Ford Coppola name, with a tasting room, a museum dedicated to the owner's Hollywood career, and with Rustic, a restaurant where you'll get acquainted with Francis's favorite dishes. As we'll hear from our guest, the Francis Ford Coppola Winery like many wineries in the Golden State, is committed to sustainability. With the goal of leaving the land, there are 75 acres of vineyards and a better place for future generations. Today, the Francis Ford Coppola Winery is a California-certified sustainable winery. Our story doesn't end here, though. Just recently, in August 2021, two famous Italian families were brought together when Francis Ford Coppola sold his winery to another famous Italian family rich in wine history, the Delicato family. The Delicato family wines is a four-generation, family-owned company founded in 1924 and has expanded to become one of the fastest-growing top 10 wine companies in the United States. And if you're wondering if Francis is still involved after the sale, stay tuned. Let's get back on the road so we can meet this week's guest. You're on the road with Mr. California Wine. So buckle up. Here we go on the road. A quick word from the buyer. Thebuyer.net is your connection to the premium on trade. Thebuyer.net is your on trade platform, linking key industry leaders, influencers, producers, and suppliers in order to improve reach and awareness in the UK hospitality sector. My guest this week is a fourth-generation Sonoma County native who loves to get her hands dirty. Literally, she enjoys working with compost in the vineyard. She's a graduate from Cal Poly State University, San Luis Obispo, with a degree in agricultural business. My guest then went on to earn a winemaking certificate from UC Davis. After graduating from Cal Poly, she joined Benziger Family Winery and continued to work there for 16 years learning and developing her skills not only in wine production and winemaking but in the vineyard as well. Following her long run at Benziger she made wine at Ravenswood Winery and then at the Prisoner Wine Company for a year as their senior winemaker. My guest loves the outdoors and is currently a jail champion. You're on the road with Mr. California Wine and my guest this week is Andrea Card, senior winemaker at the Francis Ford Coppola Winery andrea really nice to meet you and thank you very much for being on the road with me this week thank you i'm excited yeah i'm excited too to have the senior winemaker of the francis Ford coppola winery on uh, on my podcast this is really awesome i want to talk about wine i want to talk about the winery your role how you got to where you are but looking at your bio you know we're talking sports i play tennis before we you know before i hit the record button here you are into lumberjack sports. And you know what? Other than watching the Bionic Man or Steve Austin on, on the $6 million man, you know, do like 60 miles per hour on a on a log on a leg. I don't know anybody who's lumberjack sports. So tell me, how did you get involved and what exactly you're doing with lumberjack sports?
1: Yeah, I uh we call ourselves lumber jills, the women in the sport. And um, I got started in college on a team and it was exciting. It was a fun and different sport. I'd played soccer my whole life and didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> and so this gave me the opportunity to throw axes, run chainsaws, chop and saw and be out in nature. So, that was really fun.
0: Okay, so what year did you take this up and how did
1: you get introduced to this sport? I started in 1996 when I was a freshman in college.
0: Where in and college? Do you go?
1: I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Okay. And had a team since the 70s and I took a class um, at, that required me to go to a meeting. So I went and it was so much fun. I went to a competition that weekend, did really well. They asked me if I knew how to run a chainsaw and I said, Yeah, I've run one a couple of times and I won all the competition, and the rest is a little bit of history. Um, I've started competing professionally once I graduated from college and Now I've been a part of the U.S. women's team traveling to Australia competing and, and all over the U.S. and Canada.
0: That is so cool. So how often do you compete? How much time does this take up of yours? So
1: now I am a mom and have a job and all of those things. So I only compete at two major competitions a year. So one in Wisconsin and one in upstate New York. But they are called the World Championships and the Women's World Championships. So we like to think that they're a big deal. Well, how many how many women compete in these there's championships? There's a lot. There's a lot of women um, at these two competitions. There's probably thirty women or so at each one. Okay. And what's your best showing in these championships? Uh, last year, I won the world championship with my uh, partner, Stephanie No from ca- from Canada, and we won the women's double sawing championship.
0: Women's, and it's sawing, is that with a manual saw or uh, a chainsaw? Yeah.
1: yeah. So if you think of the traditional old time saw that you see in pictures of the men <laughs> in the woods with the really large trees, those are the saws that we are using.
0: That is so cool. So, how many seconds or minutes does it take? I mean, to chop to, to saw it's down a seconds. tree. What's their record? How long?
1: It's seconds. Uh, we Second. were under ten. We were under ten seconds for for this past year. So,
0: wow, great. that is so cool. So, what is this called? The world is it Lumberjill Championships or what is it called? Uh
1: yeah, the World Championships of ha- Hayward, Wisconsin.
0: World Championships <laughs> of Hayward, Wisconsin.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: Is there such a thing as log
1: rolling? Is that part of it? There is. There is. But if do you, if you were to see me, if you were to see me, you would say, oh, yeah, I can see why she's better at chopping and sawing than at log rolling. Um, we we tend to have more um, height and mass when we're sawyers and choppers than when we're log rollers. So log rollers are a little more petite and uh, kind of r- can run on water. So how how long can you stay up on a log? Not very long. (laughs) Not very long. (laughs) It is
0: not my forte. (laughs) Okay. That is so cool. So sign is your forte. That's your strength. That's your skill set for these championships. What do you have to do to prepare to get ready for next year? I mean, how do you train?
1: It's hard to live in California and train for the sport. So I mostly just make sure that I'm super fit and ready in terms of strength and endurance.
0: You don't go around like when you need to practice cutting up like sofas or anything like that in the house, do you?
1: I could, but it doesn't translate that well to really nice wood with a really nice saw. So (laughs) I just say, forget it and make sure I'm strong enough and uh, fit enough. That is awesome. Lumber Jill.
0: That is really, really cool. Awesome. Okay. So uh, quickly, uh, when's the next championship? When are you competing next?
1: In July, the end of July this year.
0: Well, good luck.
1: Thank you. I'm going to need it. That is, <laughs> that is defending my title. <laughs> defending
0: your title, not always easy, but I'm sure you'll do it. That's great, and, and Andrea, that is awesome. So let's talk about your role of making wine at Francis Ford Coppola Winery. How long have you been there? Um, how long have you been there? How did you start out, and uh, what's your role now?
1: Yeah, I started three years ago next month, and I am the senior winemaker, and I oversee um, all of the wine production here in Geyserville. And I was just excited to come back to a family-owned winery, and it was a great opportunity for me. And it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been kind of a short and wild ride so far. <laughs> what
0: uh, we're going to get to that. What about? Um, where were you before? What was your what was the job right before you jumped on board uh, Francis Ford Coppola?
1: I worked for Constellation, and I was working on the Prisoner brand and uh, for Ravenswood.
0: Amazing brand that label when it came out, yeah. that just took off. How long were you there for a consolation?
1: I was only there three years. What
0: um, I guess you said you wanted to work for a family. What what attracted you to Francis Ford Coppola? Was it the family? Was it the environment? What uh
1: well, to be honest, I had a boss before that he had moved and I was excited to be able to work for him again. So I came to Francis Ford Coppola really. Um, That was one of the main motivators. And then once I got here and interviewed and really checked out the whole place, I was excited about it. Um, As a child, I grew up in Sonoma County and I used to drive by this property all the time. My family lived just north of here. And I always told my dad I wanted to get married at that winery, which was Chateau Souverain. Sure. And um, I did not get married at the winery, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but um, it's kind of a full circle thing for me that I got to have this great experience now working here. So it's so a well, it's a fun opportunity.
0: So going from making wine at Constellation, you know, making the the you know the prisoner. What was the biggest challenge step for you stepping in this role at Francis Ford Coppola?
1: Well, I moved right in the beginning of COVID. So some would say that I probably am not the smartest. <laughs> so for me, the biggest struggle really was just trying to get to know people and understand their roles and how we would work together um, because there was so much separation. We did come in into work every day. Our team was here. So that part made it easier for the winemaking team, but getting to know everyone else was was difficult. Okay, and then obviously, you know,
0: Having uh mass mandate in California, we, you know, in London as well. I mean, obviously, you know, you're working with wine. You have to taste the wine. Obviously, the mask comes off. So I'm just curious if you're tasting with your team, then you had to like what stand like, you know, 20, 20 yards apart. How did that work out?
1: Yeah, we we had all the windows and doors open. We sat a, as far away from each other as we could. Um, and. Knock on wood, somehow we made it through. None of us uh, got sick and none of us got each other sick. So that was pretty awesome.
0: That's the red wine, right? That's why we should keep drinking red wine.
1: Yeah, we we do think that that might have helped kill kill some bugs (laughs) in the air.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Francis for Coppola Winery,
0: what's the model there? Do you guys own vineyards? Do you source fruit to make these wines or is it a combination of the two?
1: Uh, We're a combo operation. We have about 75 acres that are our own um, acreage here Mm -hmm. in Geyserville in Alexander Valley and also on Pine Mountain. Okay. We are just starting to plant some Sauvignon Blanc in Alexander Valley. And then we have things, obviously, like Cabernet Sauvignon, um, Cab Franc, Malbec, Merlot, (laughs) Negro Amaro, Zinfandel. So some fun varieties that we grow ourselves, and then we have these great relationships with our grower partners.
0: Negro Moro, that's interesting. So uh, southern Italian grape variety. Why Negro Mar- Maro? Are you Using it to blend with your cabs, or are you making a single variety Negro Moro?
1: We make a single variety um, of Negro Moro from our own estate, and it's a really fun grape. And uh, Francis actually had come to the team one t- one day and said, "Hey, I love this wine. I want us to make it." And the grower relations team said, well, nobody grows that in California, or at least that we know of. So he said, great, we'll just plant it. So we planted it, and um, we've had about three vintages off of there. And it's really turned into an amazing wine. So three vintages, how much is planted? About three acres. Three Three acres. acres. And so how, how many cases is
0: that translating to? Are you making a given year, depending on the situation?
1: Normally is about five hundred or so cases, and is that then all
0: for those? Is that all just like reserved for wine club members, or do you get a little distribution for that wine?
1: Yeah, it's mostly just DTC through the tasting room and through wine club.
0: You know, it's so cool because you know we talk about cabs and Pinot Noir, Chardonnay a lot. Obviously Merlot, uh, Pinot Noir, but it's fun to see like Negro Mar- uh Negro Maro or you know say you know of uh, Albarino, you know, pop up in California. Any other great varieties that you're playing with?
1: Um, that's our big one that we really have stuck with and we wouldn't mind making some more of. And it would be super interesting to see it grown in another region and us be able to make it as well. But we'll see how how time goes with that and see how people in California love Negro Amaro or not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. So, and uh, you're you're in Sonoma, obviously, you know, coastal influence there. Are you worried about climate change? You know, you're planning some to Negro tomorrow talking to Jeff Hinchliff over at uh, Hanna. Hannah. He's planning some Nero Davila to blend with his calves. Are you guys looking at like these Mediterranean grape varieties like heat resistant, drought resistant grape varieties? Are you sticking to what works for you? The the Bordeaux blends and the Zin? Currently, we
1: are trying to make a plan to replant some areas of our estate property and that's going to be a conversation that we have when we get there. We all believe that things are changing so we'll have to adapt as well.
0: Yeah, but you're it's it's something you're looking at. I guess it's something everybody's got to look at at some point, right? Depending on where you're I, located.
1: I th- I think we all should be, right? It's all going to be changing.
0: Yeah. So. I agree. All right. Well, let's take a look at a couple of your your wines. Uh, one, the first one, your 2019 Francis Ford Coppola Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon. I want to talk to you about your Director's Cut Dry Creek uh, Valley Zin as well. But this Reserve Cab, where is the fruit coming from for this wine? And what's the story behind the label, this very artistic, really good looking label?
1: Yeah, it is a uh, very unique label. Francis's good friend, Dean Tavalaris, who had worked on some movies with him, including The Godfather. Um, He is the one who created the label. And if you see the reserve series that we have, um, which includes Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and such like that, uh, they all have a different face. So this one happens to have a man with a blue face, but not like Avatar. (laughs) Just a man with a blue face. And it may sound strange, but it actually is pretty cool. Um, And so the fruit comes from a very special grower of ours um, from Sequercé Vineyard in Alexander Valley. And we've been, excuse me, we've been partnering with them for about six years and receiving their fruit all Cabernet. And they're situated on the opposite side of the valley from where we are. So on the east side of the valley, looking west. And we have hillside um, blocks from that property, as well as valley floor and everything kind of in between. And so we really get the best of all of the worlds of Alexander Valley and what it has to offer. And I like to think um, it has one of the best views I've ever seen of Alexander Valley, especially um, looking west. So I like to think that it can see the sunset um, and those grapes get to experience that every evening. So it, it, shows
0: in the wine yeah no beautiful wine and i gotta tell you i love that label well i love the labels of that entire series and do the labels change with every vintage
1: no so those are um they stay the same with each varietal so every okay. year every year you'll get the man with the blue face for the cabernet
0: okay yeah, yeah no really really good looking uh label there i love a good zinfandel I think the Dry Creek Valley's in, um, I've had it on several occasions, very familiar with the director's cut. Again, another interesting label. You're looking at the, you know, reels of a, from a movie projector, right? You're yeah. looking at a reel real a movie projector. Um, and I love Dry Creek Valley. So why Dry Creek? Why, why is, why does Infidel, why is it such a good match for this part of Sonoma?
1: I like to think that Dry Creek Valley is probably the premier region of growing zin in California. That may be a bold statement, but I I love it. I love the expression that the wine takes um it we grow from a lot of older vines and so there's a lot of balance So there's less vigor, there's less alcohol that we end up getting. The concentration of the fruit is nicer. So we get a little bit of darker expression of fruit. So it's not just thin red and high alcohol, where sometimes in those really hot regions, that tends to be the makeup of the Zinfandel. And from Dry Creek, we just love the balance of the fruit overall and the wine that it eventually makes.
0: Yeah, I agree. I spent a lot of time in Dry Creek. And uh, I mean, it's amazing, those old bush train vines. Some of them go back over 100 years, right? There's some yeah. old stuff there.
1: There's some really old stuff. And they're they're beautiful and challenging all at once. <laughs> so we we do have some trellised fruit and some um, California kind of sprawl. Andrea makes some really good wines. I mean, fabulous wines. And
0: then plus, you get them and put them in a bottle with some you know, fun packaging to look at, right? Nice story to tell.
1: Yeah, it's it's the best story for me, actually. I like the story of the wine itself, but the connectivity between the label as well is really fun. And when you said, oh, it's an old reel, it's actually, it's called a zoetrope and um, it's the first moving picture. And so if you had like a little flip book, you could see the picture move. That's basically what the label looks like. Um, right. as you, see, if you if you spin the bottle fast enough, <laughs> um, and, and the Dry Creek Zin actually has a witch on riding a goose with a little broom. And she, um, I like to think that the way that those two connect the Zin and the witch is that she's really trying to constrain that Zinfandel and keep it from going too high alcohol too much and really okay. like- reining in what it can what it can be and show all of its layers so great storytelling
0: <laughs> and great zen that's uh that's really cool i just i just had a thought you have these all these artistic labels before we recorded you're saying that you know there's another property that you work at as well you're going to create what about a lumberjack sin or something like that lumber jill i sorry I take that back lumber jill it's, okay.
1: it's okay Um, yeah, I think I'm going to have to talk to marketing and see if they think that there will be a market for that. (laughs) It would probably have to be whiskey infused. And, uh, although my lumberjack friends, they like the wine too. As long as I bring it, they'll drink it.
0: (laughs) In California, we've, we've gone through like, you know, years of record drought, 10 years. We've gotten a lot of rain in January. I mean, super concentrated, you know, just kind of hit all at once. How's that affected the property, your seventy five acre vineyard? I mean, I know in general, it's been great for the state. How is the vineyard held up in you know, in January when those rains hit?
1: Things have been great. We actually have one property that is on Pine Mountain, and so we saw the most amount of snow we've ever seen. Uh, I think Sonoma County, northern Sonoma County got more snow than it's ever had. Uh, So at one point, we were probably a foot of snow up on the up on the vineyard, which was amazing and made for some beautiful pictures. Um, But we actually have now enough water in our reserve um, pond for the next three years or so. And so we're really looking at this as a positive thing. And
0: then I guess minus any frost or, you know, whatever, I guess you guys are hopefully looking at a bumper year
1: this year i I am afraid we are going to have a lot of fruit yeah (laughs) which which is a good thing and a bad thing all at once um when you're trying to make sure that we're not still working harvest in december um yeah (laughs) that's what we that's what we're pushing for is we want it over in november (laughs) what's yeah it's
0: a long year as it is what's what's total case production for the winery A lot. (laughs) A lot. Okay. All right. I'll take. I'll take. I'll take. Okay. I'll take (laughs) your word for that. A lot. So you know, you're looking at these different labels. You know, each bottle has to have its own expression. Gives you know, it gives a sense of 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 place. What's your secret? I mean, how do you go about, say, making a Zen that's going to match that director's cut label or that cab that's going to, you know. match what people's expectations are from that blue face man do you look at it that way
1: so it depends for me it depends on the style of wine and what tier it's really in so if it's a a hand sold wine from a single vineyard in a very small appellation i'm hoping that our consumer understands that vintage to vintage you're going to have variation right your uh, effect of climate and Drought or no drought, all of those things play into it. So for those wines, really, there's not a whole lot of manipulation. We try to have it be an expression of that vintage and that place. And when you start making the larger blends, you know, we're really well known for our claret, which is a lot of cases. Um, That wine is the wine where we're able to blend across different appellations and really keep it a lot more consistent. Fabulous
0: storytelling and winemaking there. You've been in this role now for a little over three years. What's the biggest impact you've had at the winery?
1: I would like to think that my biggest impact would be connectivity between my team and other teams actually here within the winery and also within kind of the, the larger business We want to make an impression with the wines that we have and, you know, making sure that we are a solid team and working well, cohesively, I think can make the biggest impact in that way.
0: Okay. So if you're making something, you know, obviously um, you have a story to tell when you get in front of a consumer, but I guess you want the marketing team to get the message in terms of what you've, what you've created Um, on the same page.
1: Yeah, that and even, you know, people who are working on the bottling line, having them understand what it is that we're making and why we're making it in that style. So that way they can be a good brand representative as well when they go out and they meet with their friends, right? They they always have access to our wines. And I want to make sure that people feel connected to that.
0: Yeah, that's a great, that's a that's a great point because they can go out and indirectly or directly promote the brand right regardless yeah. of what their what regardless of what their role is at the winery
1: yep yeah and we like to we like to share that as much as we can and the stories are fun right especially if you can talk about the label and even if you don't know that much about the wine you remember oh yeah that man who's dance the devil dancing on the ball that means that is a lighter, brighter wine. Right. And so those are the stories that I like to kind of connect and how we, we show our wines. So. Yeah.
0: Connecting stories. Very yeah. cool. So
1: let's take a step back. When did
0: you start? What was your first job making wine? What year was that? Uh,
1: 2001. I just graduated from college. Okay. And, uh I moved home to Sonoma County because you know, you graduate from college and you don't have a job and you don't have any money. <laughs> sure, where's where's so, home Where's home in Sonoma? In, in Sebastopol, yeah. In Sebastopol, okay, great, Yeah. okay. West West County. And I looked in the paper because, you know, it was the olden days when you looked for jobs in the paper. And uh, I found a job and interviewed for it and it was at Benziger Family Winery in Glen Ellen.
0: Okay, sure.
1: Yeah. I spent the next 16 years there <laughs> and wow. it was amazing. So yeah, your first amazing. job
0: out of out of college was at Benzer for for 16 years.
1: Yeah. I started as a lab intern and just worked in the lab running numbers. I liked science. The wet chemistry was fun and just understanding the property and then they asked me if I would like to work with the compost. And that sealed the deal. (laughs) I was in it.
0: (laughs) Outdoor woman. That is awesome. I like that. Lumberjack chill. That is so cool. Since you started out in 2001 at Benziger and, you know, started making wine, how has your approach to making wine evolved over the years? Has it changed?
1: Well, when I started, I was missing that little piece of the connectivity to the vineyard itself. I was analyzing wine, right? I was in the laboratory. I was trying to infuse myself into everything else, but compost and vineyard is a little bit different. So now I spend as much time as I possibly can in the vineyard, talking with, you know, our viticulturists, talking with the grower relations teams, and just really trying to understand each place and what it has to offer. So that way I understand when we have the fruit in the house that we can shape it or mold it into the way that it really wants to go, as opposed to trying to force it into, you know, a a round peg in a square hole. So.
0: Sure. When you talked earlier about vintage variation, right? I mean, you're going to get it every year. I mean, obviously you got, you know, uh, soil types. What are the soil types there at the vineyard? What are you dealing with there at the, uh, at the, at the estate vineyard?
1: We, we've got a lot of different types.
0: <laughs> okay. Um,
1: so, you know, we, sandy loam is a lot. Um, we're, we're down closer towards um, the riverbeds. And so it's pretty good alluvial soils, um, really well draining. Um, and then, you know, we have a vineyard that's up at 2,500 feet on Pine Mountain, which is a, a very different character up there <laughs> right but that okay. that has more to do with wind and um inversion layers so how would you sum up the 2020 harvest uh for
0: you guys 2020
1: was my first sorry. vintage year
0: okay 2022 sorry let's look oh, at 2022 okay. yeah
1: okay 2022 well <laughs> it was a hot one <laughs> so okay. over over labor day weekend well labor day week really. We saw temperatures up to 117. And that's the hottest I can ever remember in my lifetime here. And my father lives in Cloverdale and it's even hotter there. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was difficult. Um, everything we tried to pull everything off that couldn't endure the heat before that um hit. And once it hit, we knew we were just gonna have to kind of ride it out and hope for the best. And really the vineyards that we were working with were well protected. They had good san- sun canopy. We had, you know, enough water to be able to push them through that heat, but it, it was a challenge, that heat spell. Um, so, but I, I think the vintage overall is going to be a very beautiful one. Okay. And then you step into the, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, well, yeah, I think I threw out
0: 2020. I wanted to ask you about yeah, 2022. But 2020, so your first vintage, that's interesting. You're stepping into during COVID and you got fires
1: yeah, in the valley. And it got- was, yeah. It was the smokiest vintage, I think, of my whole career and probably one of the most difficult, but also the most connected I felt. Um, It was really a great way for me to understand how this winery worked. We did small bucket fermentations on every single block that we were to harvest, and we were able to taste every day. We tasted small fermentations and made really good decisions based on that. So our 2020 vintage is probably one of the best vintages we'll ever have, in my opinion, just in that. The only the best stuff came in, and only the best grapes were fermented into into final wine.
0: Wow! So that's okay. So 2020, you're able to produce some reds, but obviously production's down. It has to be down, correct. right? Correct.
1: Yes, very much so. Yeah, we didn't we didn't harvest any Pinot Noir from this area. Um, there was a lot of fruit that we weren't able to use, um, but the the Cabernets have turned out lovely. We have Sra Petite Sra. Yeah, we were able to kind of just wade through it and work with our growers and our and our viticulturists to to really make a make a good make good wines. That's a great win coming out of that vintage. That sounds like a great win. Yeah, it was it was hard because it was COVID too. Again, sure. right? You're just having to taste all these <laughs> all these fermentations um but it was a great learning experience for myself too. I learned I'm pretty sensitive to to smoke effect. So
0: Baptism by fire—you really stepped into a a, a, a
1: yeah. big
0: one there, right?
1: Yeah, and then the following year we were sold. So yeah, <laughs> we had all sorts of fun happening. <laughs> yeah, let's let's
0: talk about that in a couple minutes. So just um, a couple more questions here for you. Looking back, um, who's been the biggest influence, say mentor that you that, that that you leaned on, and maybe you could still lean on today?
1: Yeah, I have had lots of different influential people in my life. Um, Not all of them, I would say, were mentors per se. Um, But by far, the um, most influential and best mentor I've had was Rodrigo Soto. He is now the GM for Quintessa in Napa. Okay. Um, He was at Benziger with me when I was there. He's from Chile. And he was... Just the person who really pushed me to understand that winemaking really could be my career without pushing me. So really just showing me if I wanted to be out in nature and working with cow horns um, because we were making biodynamic wine, then that's what I could be doing. Or if I wanted to be focused on how the vines grow, I could focus on that. Whatever it was that was really interesting to me was where he wanted me to to focus.
0: Okay, so Rodrigo Soto, a big influence um, on your career. Very, very cool. Favorite part of the
1: job? Oh, I think the, the process itself it has always fascinated me. And that's really why I'm still in wine is thinking about how crazy it is to be able to go and look at grapes and later that day you can have it in a tank and then, you know, in a month be drinking it if that's what, you know, you so desire. So the the process itself is just fascinating to me. And I love the fact that you can either put your handprint on it or keep your handprint off of it and how different the wines can be. So. Okay.
0: Least favorite.
1: (laughs) When the bottles don't show up on bottling day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Packaging. It's like the bane of my existence. Does it it happen (laughs)
0: quite a bit? I mean, I know there's, you know, there's obviously been big glass shortages and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. COVID COVID has been difficult. So um, if you like to plan, I like to plan. I like to have my calendar. I like to know how much time I have to do things and all of that. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, that's not going to really work out. Or, oh, do you think maybe you could have it ready earlier? So um, we, we're we always on the uh, flexible game, but it's it's the most challenging, I think.
0: Obviously, you're there to make wine. That's your role, making sure that what the vineyard gives you, it gets into the bottle. Uh, not an easy task. Uh, what percentage of time do you spend out in the road promoting your wines?
1: I have found this beautiful balance of about four trips a year.
0: Four trips what, a year.
1: Four trips a year. I I do have a daughter and a family and at home that wants me to be around most of the time. <laughs> and so four trips a year really works great for me. And so I'll go sometime in the wintertime and, you know, spring, summer, and, and that's kind of it. Okay. Like, you know, talking
0: about these wines, these labels. How big of a part of, say, Hollywood, since you have this big name behind the winery, comes into play when you're talking about these wines?
1: It's really funny that you asked that because I just realized about two weeks ago that we're a celebrity brand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow! Well, I, know I it sounds weird. But... I would I would say that. I mean, okay. that guy okay. started that guy started this winery with his own hands. I think celebrity is, wine. Yeah. And so celebrity. this is yeah. Celebrities get somebody else to make their wine and they put their name on it. It's different. They're not they're not getting their hands dirty.
1: Right. It's interesting though, within our even our own community, I think we're we're known as, you know, the celebrity brand, even though we aren't a celebrity brand. It was very like um natural evolution and um into the winery that we have now. Um so no, I don't I don't normally feel like I'm in Hollywood. But I okay. did get to walk I did get to walk on the red carpet last year um promoting our wine that we had for the Academy Awards and that was pretty amazing. <laughs> wow, that is cool. I mean, not in a formal dress. I had like boots and jeans on, but it was all good. It was pretty great.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you're you're a lumberjill. You can't be wearing a gown, right? Well, I could wear a gown. I mean, I. am not saying you couldn't, better. but <laughs> yeah, but you're well, you're a yeah. winemaker. That is so. Yeah. That is that is that is so cool. I don't consider Francis Ford Coppola to be a celebrity wine. I mean, it wouldn't. Yeah, it wouldn't even enter um, into a, a a thought here. Now, obviously, you step into this role. Well, I mean, COVID fire year in general for the valley 2020, and the are there for a year. And all of a sudden this family culture that you're buying into, you get, what well, you get purchased by another family, right? Yeah. The, the yep. Delicato family. So how has that changed for you? Has it, I mean, has it made a big difference at all or impact on, on the purchase of this winery?
1: Whenever you have a larger, I don't know, family or a larger company, then that means you just have more resources. Right. So for our winemaking team, all of a sudden we had all these other people that we could ask questions of. Um, we had people in locations where we had never been before and we would spend days driving there, checking out vineyards, all of that. Now we have coworkers who are like, Yeah, hey, I'll go check that out for you, no problem. Um, so it's really been a great benefit for for our small team here in Geyserville. Um and it's been fun. We have new opportunity. Um, the Delicato family wants us to keep growing the brands. And that's what we like to do. We like to have new projects and new things to do. So you've gone just basically from one Italian family to the other, to another, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. The Coppola family and the Delicato family had been working together for 15 plus years already before this happened. So it was really, I think, a as good and as smooth of a transition as probably there could have been.
0: A natural transition. Yeah, no, that yeah. makes uh yeah, that makes sense. Has the culture or let me ask this, has the vision remained the same for these wines, you know, as opposed to when Francis started this winery?
1: I, I think so. I, I wasn't here in the beginning, so it's hard for me to know that, but from what I feel and from what i see in the wines i think we are still trying to stay true to what we were making um in the past but just if we can make it better then we make it better we try not to make it necessarily different but um just focusing on good growing practices and good winemaking and is francis still involved
0: after the sale
1: yeah he is he's uh a, a board member so there's four board members uh for the delicado um company and he's he's a member of that so he gets to still interject from here from time to time um it's not quite as wild as i hear as in the past where francis would come up with something really off the cuff um and people would do it but so it has a little more methodical um a you bit know, more structure.
0: structure right yeah right which right.
1: probably is is not a bad thing
0: hey <laughs> i, I want to make you a, a negro marlo or a, a norello muscalese you got to think about that right right let me ask you what makes working at francis ford coppola winery and for the telecado family what makes it what makes it such a special place to work why do you like showing up every day
1: well have you been here it's beautiful
0: i have been yes i have okay. yes
1: okay um i mean i as I told you, my story about when I was young and driving by, um, it's still as beautiful and magical as it was then. So that doesn't get old. <laughs> and then also the people here, really people make the place. And this is an extension of my own family. And knowing that it is a really large family makes it feel even better. Yeah. Um, you know, I get to see family members often and it's it's great. It feels like just you're part of a a, lar- a very large extended family. And I come from a very small family. So that's pretty fun for me. Oh, well, you're a lucky person. Yeah.
0: That's great. Andrea, I've got to tell you, I really, I mean, can't believe how fast the time's gone by, but I really, I have really enjoyed our chat. It's been uh it's been a lot of fun and uh, I've just loved talking to you. Um, I'm not going to let you go just yet. I'm going to ask you four okay. questions. I call this okay. a bit in Q&A. So just give me the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready to go?
1: Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, here we go. What's your desert island wine? Oh, desert island wine. Well, I don't know. Am I stuck there or is this like a vacation? Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 stuck,
0: you're, you're stuck there. I think Tom Hanks and Castaway, okay. you're stuck there.
1: Okay. Perfect. Then I'm going to take... Sauvignon Blanc, because I can make it into like a, a, like a frozen frappe. I can have it over ice as a cocktail. I can drink it warm, try to get, you know, some sort of other <laughs> aromatics out of it. Um, I would be pretty happy drinking Sauvignon Blanc on a desert island for the rest of my life.
0: Okay. <laughs> that would be okay. okay. Yeah. Great, great, great answer. What was the dream job as a kid?
1: Ooh, I wanted to be a pilot. You wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot, and I wanted to um, have a tour company that toured over Sonoma County and showed how beautiful this place was.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Be a pie, and you're right. Looking down, I mean, it is gorgeous. Living or dead. Who's the one celebrity you want to share a bottle of one of your wines with? Which celebrity, which wine? Living or dead?
1: Ooh. Um, well, feeding off of the pilot thing, um, Amelia Earhart. I don't even know if she drinks, so maybe, you know, I don't want to force her to drink with me, but um, I think hanging out with her, listening to her stories and that strong woman feeling um, and whatever she wants to drink, I'm, I'm game. If she wants to drink, you know, port, we'll drink port Um, whatever it is that she wants.
0: That's a cool answer. Yeah, a um, real trailblazer there, um, and haven't had Amelia Earhart oh, okay. uh, as as an answer before on the podcast. So that's really cool, Amelia Earhart. She,
1: she tends to be my uh, go to go to person. I guess I have a fascination with flying and and her story. So, sure, yeah, 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 amazing woman.
0: Money no object. Which bottle of California wine would you open with dinner tonight? Cannot be one of yours or from the Delicato portfolio?
1: Uh, tonight. Um, yeah. Well, today is Tuesday. I don't know if it's really Tuesday when this gets uh, put on, but today is Tuesday. So it's Taco Tuesday in my house. Great. And um, I would have, ooh, I would have Iron Horse sparkling, like Blanc de Blanc, probably a Magnum. <laughs> because nice. I could drink the whole thing. <laughs>
0: kind okay of, okay i made i made fish tacos on sunday night what type what type of tacos would you have with this iron horse sparkling a blanc de blanc i think shrimp tacos Ooh, good yeah. shout is that what you're doing tonight
1: well now it is
0: <laughs> <laughs> lucky family very cool very yeah. cool all right well listen andrea thank you so much for being on the road with me this week that was a lot of fun
1: yeah. Thank you so much. This was great. Appreciate
0: it. I want to thank Andrea for being on the road with me this week. That was a fun chat and I can't wait to get back to Sonoma and spend some time with Andrea at the winery and Andrea best of luck defending your double signed title at the upcoming world championship. If you still haven't visited the Francis Ford Coppola winery, you need to add it to your to-do list on your next trip to Sonoma. There are enjoyable wines to taste, like their reserve and director cut ranges, and there are great places to eat at the winery as well. The pool cafe is open on the weekends where you can go for a swim, grab a bite, and of course, a bottle of any one of Andrea's gorgeous wines. The winery is also a museum, showcasing memorabilia from Francis Ford Coppola's illustrious Hollywood movie career as a director, including antique zoyotropes. The next time you're cruising through Geyserville, stop in, And have a blast, a day out, at this fabulous winery. Now it's time for Wine of the Week. And I'm recommending two wines this week. My first pick is the man with the blue face. This is Andrea's 2020 Francis Coppola's Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon. And the wine is every bit as good as its artistic, intriguing, and stunning label. This gorgeous cab boasts decade aromas of blackberry, black cherry, with hints of clove, nutmeg, and chocolate. My second pick is Andrea's 2019 Director's Cut Dry Creek Valley Zinfandel. Andrea said it best when she described Dry Creek Valley as the best place to grow Zinfandel. I love its blueberry, red cherry, and dried fruit profile. This scent is a real crowd-pleaser. And again, I've always loved this label. Fantastic storytelling, paying tribute to the history of filmmaking with its inspiring zoetrope label. And where else can one see a witch riding a goose? The Francis Ford Coppola Winery is in the town of Geyserville, a fun place to hang out. In addition to spending the day at the Francis Ford Coppola Winery, try your luck at the tables at the River Rock Casino. The casino offers a spectacular view of the Anderson Valley, live entertainment, and four restaurants. In downtown Geyserville, book a table for dinner at Cyrus for a culinary journey that focuses on farm-to-table meals. Catelli's is an awesome spot for good Italian food, and the Geyserville Grill is a place to go for a mouth-watering cheeseburger. Thank you very much for being on the road with me this week and I hope you enjoyed our chat with Andrea Carr. If you want to learn more about the Sonoma AVA and another Sonoma County girl, check out my conversation with Heidi Vondermaden, winemaker at the Mary Edwards Winery, Season 3, Episode 45. Jonas and Jean over at Delicato Family Wines, thanks for putting me in touch with Andrea. And I'll be back next week catching up with Ashley Maniti winemaker at brazen in lodot if we can't hop on a flight to california i'll bring california to you it would be awesome if you would share this podcast with your friends if you have time leave a review see you next week on the road with mr california wine take it easy